love of the game. This is Love Set Match. I mean, Andre Agassi had this goal. You don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. We have a special Roger Federer podcast for you, so stay tuned to hear his insider conversation with his former coach and world number one, Stefan Edberg. As a bonus, at the end of this podcast, we hear Federer discuss his health, his recovery from his knee surgery, and his tournament plans for 2021. We're so excited to have him back. As you know, Tennis Pal Chronicles is sponsored by Tennis Pal, which is a great app you can download for Android and iPhone and find people to play tennis with. I'm excited to let you know there's a cool new feature on the Tennis Pal app. In the new version of the app, there is a new feature called Broadcast. So what is Broadcast? Let's say you are looking for someone to play with in your area. Now, when you do a PAL search, you can tap the broadcast icon on the bottom right side and write a custom message to broadcast to that list. So, for instance, you can message, I'll be playing at the downtown courts until 8 p.m. tomorrow, and the broadcast will be shown to everyone in your search list at the top of their moments feed for the next 48 hours. They can easily see your broadcast message and start a chat with you, send some quick replies, and confirm a hitting time. I think it's an awesome feature and something you guys should definitely check out. Now on to the RF interview. Roger Federer and Stefan Edberg got together with Wilson to discuss the rackets that they've been using throughout their career and the legacy of Wilson's tennis rackets. Edberg, Federer, Pete Sampras, they have all had their own customized version of the Wilson Pro Staff. And this racket has an incredible record of 117 Grand Slam wins. It's the most winning racket of all time. More importantly, Federer and Edberg share their stories of changing to this racket, making the adjustments to a new racket, and how the racket impacted their game. I really love how these two champions discuss which racket they still have from all their lifelong winning streak in their closets. So let's dive right into Roger Federer and Stefan Edberg's conversation. Thanks for listening. So, Stefan Roger, thank you guys both for joining me today on the Wilson Tennis blog to talk about our longest-running racket franchise, the Wilson Pro Staff, the racket you guys both played with. That's right. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah, my pleasure as well. Nice to be here. <laughs> All right. So as you guys know, we just uh, we're, we're super excited because we just launched the 13th version of Pro Staff. Uh, you know, with this racket, we really wanted to make the best playing racket for the modern game uh, without losing that classic Pro Staff feel that the players love. Uh, until this latest version, we've you know, outside of head size increases, we haven't really changed the racket much from the 1983 version. Um, and and actually, Stefan, you 
started playing pro. I mean, you, you turned pro right around that time. Do you remember what, what racket you were using when you turned pro? Uh, well, absolutely. When we start from the beginning, I actually grew up playing with wood rackets. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, playing with aluminium rackets, um, which was a huge change from the wood racket. Uh, but then, you know, in 1984, I believe, you know, I got three prototypes of the new pro staff at the time. Um, was a wonderful feeling right from the beginning. And, uh, you know, I started playing with it after having played with a Wilson Javelin for a year, which was, was another transition. Uh, good racket, but not close to what the pro staff did for me. And uh, once I picked that, that racket up, I got to the semifinal in Rotterdam. And the following week, I won my first ATP tournament in Milan. Uh, with the new pro staff, so it was off to a flying start. Uh, it was it was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I saw pictures of that Wilson Javelin and I was looking up and it's got the throat with like the upside down V in it. That's yes, kind of a absolutely. yeah, kind of a crazy looking racket. But uh, it must have been pretty interesting to play at a time where there's so many different materials being used with wood, aluminum, graphite. You know, what was, what was that kind of like, playing against probably players using different materials out there? Uh, well, it was a great time, you know, back in the 80s where there was a lot of new rackets, uh, new materials, even, you know, big head sizes, uh, I think 100 square inches, maybe 105 from, uh, from a brand. Um, there were a lot of changes going on, um, and obviously... Maybe it wasn't so great for the racket industry when they went off from the woods because with the wood rackets, they would break and you would buy new rackets. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the, the, the change um, that, that was made really made it a lot easier to play tennis as well. And uh, the technology has really progressed ever since. Yeah. So what was it about pro staff that, you know, you, you played with it most of your pro career. So what was it about that racket that, that kind of stuck out to you? Uh, well, the, with the pro stuff at the time, I mean, it was was great control. Um, it was just a great feeling. You know, I felt where I hit the ball every time. And I tried to make some changing to a different racket at times in the beginning of my career. I couldn't quite get the same feeling. So I stuck with the pro stuff throughout my career, actually. But thinking back, I probably would have been better for me maybe towards the end of my career to try something new, a new technology that would give me more speed. Because with the, with the, with the pro stuff that I had, you really needed to hit the racket, you needed to hit it clean, didn't get much help. Uh, so that I do regret not getting into new technology towards the end of my career that really probably would have helped me, especially with the speed that you get from the rackets as of today. Yeah. And uh, Roger, you turned pro right around the time that, you know, just after uh, Stefan retired, uh, but you were playing with, I, I believe, the same racket uh, as what he was playing with. Do you remember the first time you played with a pro staff racket? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember maybe the exact first uh, time I ever hit with it, but uh, I do remember, you know, I, I played with the, the racket with the American flag. Uh, I don't know what it was actually called. Jim Courier, I think, uh, played with it for a little while. And then I played with that one, but then Wilson had told me they had stopped play using it. And I think it was also an 85 square inch, and they also had, I think, a 95. And I used the 85, and I loved it. And then for me, the natural choice was the Pro Staff 85, the midsize, the one that uh, uh, Stefan used and also Sampras used, you know, and both were my heroes. So 
I just had to get get you know sort of big enough and strong enough to use it because at 14 you would think it's still a little bit too heavy I think nowadays no 14 year old would probably switch to a racket like this but the thing is also I had just moved to the National Tennis Center and we were playing on Supreme Court which Stefan must have loved in his day you know it was super (laughs) fast and and you needed like a heavy racket to be able to counter all the power and pace coming from the other player and this is then when I, I guess I switched to it probably like around 95 like 94 95 and played with it all the way to 2002, I remember. And that's when I then switched to the, you know, the pro staff 90 that we then created together with, uh, with Wilson. But it was a good time. Like Stefan said, of course, there was some, some mishits and it was hard, you know, when you didn't hit, hit the ball cleanly. But my boy, when, when you hit it cleanly, it was really a, a perfect racket. And I think it was also very much built for attacking tennis at the to be honest and not for the longest of baseline rallies because eventually he would catch it a little bit on the frame but uh i was happy i played with uh, stefan and pete's racket even though i heard mine was not exactly identical to theirs you know if you look at the design there's yeah. some elements that are different from stefan's to, to mine yeah it's, it's quite amazing if you think about the pro stuff there's at least four number ones that played with a racket you roger you got sampras you got curry you got myself basically the same racket and uh, yeah it's fascinating yeah you know uh roger in the same way that it was the the edberg racket and then the sampras racket it it very much now is is the federer racket right uh you know you've played with it all this time and you've had like unbelievable results obviously uh what is it about the racket that you think suits your game well, I mean, I'm number one, I'm very proud, you know, to, to be continuing in the pro staff era, in the line, in the footsteps of Stefan and Jim and Pete. Uh, for me, that has been something, uh, um, I don't know, it just makes me very happy. You know, I played Wilson my, my entire career. Like Stefan, also, I played with uh, wooden rackets in, at the very, very beginning and the white tennis balls in the time, a very short while. And then things changed very quickly for me. Um, but, you know, I, I really also thought it was important to change some of the features of the racket, you know, uh, like I mentioned in 2002 when I went to the bigger head size and then in 14 when I went to the 97, the RF 97 autograph, you know, and to have my own racket today is a, is a beautiful thing. But I really hope also it's great for, for uh, you know, the pro franchise, for Wilson in general, and especially at the end of the day for the fans and all the other kids and players, uh, you know, choosing that racket because I want it to be a great racket, not just for myself but for everybody else. And of course, it's, uh, I never thought I was going to have this kind of a career when I was young. And uh, to have done it all in, in the pro step line, it's, it's been very nice for me. Yeah. So before we talk about some of those adjustments that you made to pro staff over the years, uh, did you ever test any other Wilson rackets? Or was it just like, no, this is, this is the one? Um, I, had, I didn't uh, test uh, a lot of rackets for a long time, you know. Um, it's hard to to keep on testing and trying if you're actually happy with one thing you know don't uh, fix something that's not broken right so for me um i don't think i've tested anything really until 2001 2002 because i really start to feel like okay this is a, a changing of the string and i switched to the hybrid string you know the half gut half luxalon i think that was a really important step for me as i was changing racket i said well how about if we also change string or at least really go into some serious testing i remember uh, doing that with uh, Peter Carter as well at the time. And then uh, I went through the entire phase of 2002 to 2014, p- pretty much playing with the same racket with some minor adjustments, you know, um, in technology, but it was more subtle. And then I really had the, 
the urgency when I had ba- a bad back in 13, uh, you know, to really go test out uh, what else is out there with Wilson, you know, and they always wanted to give me the latest technology and all that stuff. And I think especially since uh, 13 or 12, I started to test more and more things and rackets and technology and um, etc. And then the latest one I tested was the Clash, to be honest, you know, um, that was a, a totally different kind of racket, uh, maybe not built for Stefan and me yet. We still like to play with maybe more in the pro staff line, you know, but the Clash, I think, is a highly interesting racket when you think about it, like having the trampoline effect and just the way it feels. I would uh, definitely need to configure it to, to, my, uh, to my spec, if you like, because I'm so used to, you know, my, my type of racket. But I think maybe once I'm retired, I could switch to something like the Clash, even though nostalgically I will always stay with the Pro Staff, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I totally agree with Rodiat. I tried this clash once, and wow, it was uh, it was like a trampoline, uh, hard yeah. control at the beginning. Uh, so that was really a change. And, and since you mentioned about strings, you know, with a hybrid Laxalon, that's really made a big change to to tennis as well. Because um, you know, in in the past, I used to play with natural gut. Uh, you you yeah. use nylon, so you had to choose either control or speed or yes. or power. power. But now, nowadays, you know, with the strings you play up today, you both have the control and the power at the same time. So, um, you know, when I play tennis today, it's uh, it's far easier to to get the power and the control of the ball. So, how, how is your stringing today, Stefan? What do you? Uh, well, I use na- I use natural gut uh, on the long okay. on the long line, and uh, then I have the the laxalon on 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 the cross. The other okay. way around, yeah, across. So, um, okay. that, that it works well for me. And and in the yeah. past, you know. My my strings would break within you know, maybe two hours. Today yeah. with this pattern, I can play twenty hours, twenty five hours with the same stringing pattern. In You're gonna add some top spin to your forehand, Stefan. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> yeah, that I couldn't do in the past, not very well. And what racket do you use? Do you use the the RF ninety seven or you use a different? Oh one? yes, I, yes, I do. Yeah, I've done. Oh, that. you still yeah. do? Okay. I actually, actually made a change. Oh, come on. It made a change for me. It took another 50 years to make the change, basically. <laughs> but uh, it was a great change. It took some time. And, and, and looking at back at, at the time when we, you know, I, I was with you for two years on the, on the tour, you know, you switched racket in, was it yeah, 13, 14? 14. Yeah. It's probably pro- one of the wisest things you ever did to actually <laughs> switch that. Uh, because you know, Thank playing you. with the old pro staff, it, it wouldn't have been the same. So uh, it was mm. it was a good move, and, and I think that really helped you. You know, until where, where, where did you, you think the biggest right change for me? Uh, where do you think the the RF ninety seven helped me in my game? You said it was an important change. I agree, but where yeah. do you see it the most? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can get more speed with it. Uh, I think it would help you a little bit in the server, especially on the backhand. I think with the backhand, that really yeah. made the biggest change. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to, to hit it. Um, and that's maybe where you needed the help was on the backhand side for, and you didn't yeah. wake up in the middle of the night and hit it as hard as you can wherever you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I was actually going to ask, uh, you know, you switched to that rack or you started play testing the, uh, the 97 right around the time that Stefan started coaching you. Did he have yeah. anything to do with that or did you start testing that racket before you guys started working together? Uh, I think I was working on the racket before in 13 when I had the bad back and it gave me some time to test rackets and I did. And then I played with a demo version through the summer of 13 in Gstaad and Hamburg and was going to play in Cincinnati with it. But I 
I just figured like there was so much things going on with my game at the time. I, so I switched back. I got cold feet and went back to the, the, the 90 and played, the, I believe, the rest of the season with it. And then in the off season, I went back to test and actually made some adjustments to that racket I played in the summer of 13 with and then played uh, 14 uh, uh, with the, the RF 97 as we know it sort of today. And then, Stefan, I don't know, when we started working together, was it... Uh, yeah, it was, I, that was the end of 13. I came to Dubai and we spent a week okay. there. And, uh, so, I, I, so Stefan was part of the testing, I guess, you know. Um, and that, that was interesting. But I think he, he was the first to tell me. And I think a lot has to do when I think a player works with a coach's confidence as, you, as well. And I think when somebody like Stefan tells me, you're doing the right thing. And I played with the 85, so I could totally relate to it. And he says, it's a good switch going to that one because I do believe you need a little bit on power. You need a little bit on the back end. And, you know, the volleys and the slice and the forehand is there anyways. You know that. And we're going to work on tactical things, you know, if we work together. I think the confidence to be able to switch rackets uh, is very important and was very important for me. So it was great having Stefan around in that time. Yeah, Stefan, I was curious what you thought of the of the head size switch, you know, when you first started, I mean, you came right on and, and he's, you know, mm -hmm. testing rackets and things like that. I was curious if you were thinking more about, you know, his game or his equipment or both or what the kind of mix was. Um, well, well, I, I guess, um, you know, coming to Dubai, just spending a week together was, was, was great just to get to know each other. And, um, you know, switching racket was, was a big part of the success going forward i think coming out of uh, 2013 with a bad back uh, that was a good thing so it's almost like a new start in 2014 for roger with yeah. a, with a backed up in better order with a new racket um, and i was part of his team uh, together with severin um, so so it was maybe maybe some positive energy for roger i would imagine um, to just to start from the beginning and build and build to to win more in the future yeah no, absolutely. I think it really infused me with uh, some some new energy because uh, 13 was a tough year. Uh, like uh, Stefan said, I really had to battle through that year. Uh, but then I think the new racket and having, uh, you know, my hero, you know, alongside me, you know, spending almost breakfast, lunch and dinners with and then looking up in the player box and seeing him fist pumping and saying, let's go, Roger. I mean, that was super inspiring. So I still look back at those two years as being very, very special for me in my career, definitely. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you Who for doing you? it. <laughs> Get my hero now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Stefan, you you won the. Uh, I, I was looking, and you know, you won the Australian Open in '85 and '87, and then you won Wimbledon in '88 and '90, and you won the sure. U.S. Open '91, '92. So it was very like you know, kind of segmented. I was curious, yeah. were you like really focusing on training for hard court? in some of these years and then you're like okay now i'm gonna really focus on grass it didn't just kind of work out that way um well i think it worked out the way it is i you know looking back uh, i was in maybe a little different situation from the players as of today because basically from 1984 i was in six davis cup finals so my seasons was from january to december so it was just keeping going non-stop and uh, you know you always try to to sort of try to peak a little bit at the Grand Slams but at the time you know I just kept playing and kept putting in energy to win every slam but obviously I didn't succeed uh, everywhere but it just turned out that I started winning my first Grand Slams on grass grass was always good to me um, 
you know, I went on the hard court. Clay was different for me. It was tough. But uh, by the end, you know, I felt really most comfortable even on the hard court towards the end because it's it's a very true surface in many ways where it's clean bounces. You, you can get a grip with your foot and uh, it, it's a great surface to play on. But I still love playing on the grass, but it's a little bit more hard work uh, uh, playing on the grass. Yeah, between you know, between the two of you, you have ten Wimbledons, and then you have eight Australian Opens, seven U.S. Opens, one Roland Garros. So, and obviously, we throw Pete Sampras in there. We get a lot more grass, some hard oh, yeah. court, not very many Roland Garros <laughs> tournaments. So, the question is: Is a specific racket good for like a specific surface, or is it more of the playing style, or is it kind of a mix? I would say it's probably a lot to do with playing styles as well. I mean, I think the more spin you have, the probably the bigger the racket head you need, you know. And then I think it also you can uh, uh, mess around a little bit with what string you use, you know. And then, of course, uh, I, you know, I do think uh, racket head size and the type of uh, frame you use uh, is good for different um, uh, surfaces. Now, I think it's also in your DNA if you're an attacking player. You know, you will always be a hard and attacking player. You will never become a defensive player. And it's just the other same around. If you're a counter puncher, it's uh, you have to really push yourself to be an offensive player, you know. And I think we've seen a lot of players do that, actually, uh, in the game nowadays. They really have found a way to be much more aggressive on faster surfaces, you know. And um, I think the racket has a big role to play. And I think maybe you see... If you go to faster courts or hard courts, I think how good the pro staff is. But maybe on clay, there is a different uh, racket you can use from Wilson, you know, that maybe would help you a little bit more for the clay. But I think the RF-97 nowadays is essentially also a great clay court racket. Yeah, you know, it's definitely apparent that the baseline style has become like such a dominant part of professional tennis. And obviously both of you guys were, you know, big serving volleyers, still are. You know, so. Do you think, um, like, the, like, what's the future of the serving volley strategy? Do you guys think there's a place for it? Is it just now and then? Do you think there's a pro player that can come along that does it as often as, as you did, Stefan, and, and have success with it? <laughs> well, I can tell you, the serving volley is always is going to be a beneficial part of your game uh, going forward. I think there's all. You know, in my days and even in the 70s, there was a lot of guys playing serve and volley. It was good at the time. And looking back, yeah, I managed to play serve and volley a lot. Uh, but looking back, maybe I shouldn't have played as much as serve and volley that I did because it was too predictable. Uh, and then if you look at the game, how it changed at one time, everybody was playing from the back of the court. But I think there's been some changes over the, the last couple of years where actually the players have developed, um, you know, with their strategy, they are coming to the net more often. They, they use, you know, they step into the baseline. They take, try to take shots from the point. They try to get into the net. Um, yeah, so there are going to be some changes. I think in the future, for being the number one, you're going to need to be able to do everything to play some volley once in a while. You need to be able to defend on the back of the court, and you need to be very, very all round. And I think a lot of the players, the best ones, are today. And um, so there, there'll still be room for serve and volley, but it's never going to be like it was 20, 25, 30 years ago. That's what I believe. Uh, but it's nice to have that sort of um, in tennis where you have different sort of 
kind of players playing a different kind of game. That's that's always the best tennis to watch, at least for me. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would completely agree with uh, Stefan. Everything that he said, you know, uh, the top guys, everybody who's maybe not a certain volley, but they all uh, volley extremely well. You know, if you look at the top ten guys, they all know how to be comfortable at net. That's why they are ranked ranked where they are because they know against the best players in the world. If you do not move forward, eventually. Uh, the other guy will do it and find their way uh, into the point and then uh, you're going to be struggling and in defense and you can only get out of defense that many times. Now, talking about Serb Volley, I, I think there's a couple of things to uh, to say who's going to have an, uh, an impact on the players in the future and I think that, well, number one, it's the coach and I hope that a lot of coaches watching this video are actually going to think about how to progress their player at the net as well and not just about the baseline. I think maybe Stefan can also talk about how he used to train over one-hour session how much was at net? I think it will be probably completely different that time than today. But today, I think we don't spend nearly enough time at the net. You know, if I look at all the players' training, I see points played from the baseline. I see baseline rallies. I see drills. And everything's pretty much based at the, at the baseline. So I think certain volley then comes with that. And, and certain volley is also a, a way, it's a mindset. You know, you have to be able to come to net and accept to be passed. But you've got, to, you've got to keep on coming and you break your opponent down and you shrink the court. I think essentially that's what a, a great uh, um, a certain volley player like Stefan did or what I tried to do by coming to the net in different types of ways. And then the other one, I think for the tournament directors watching this, they have a big impact on how the game is going to go. Because if all the tournament directors are going to say, we want it slow, then forget about having certain volley players. If you want faster like certain volley game again, you need to speed up the court. And I think some have done it, and I think it would be nice to have more variety in speeds. I'm not saying I want fast all across the board, but I think having some really fast, some very slow, and seeing the players adapt to it, I think that's the beauty for every fan. I think you've got a good point, uh, Roger, as well. And if, if you're going to be a good serve and volley player, at least play at the net and volley, it's, yeah, you need to spend more time in practice, but you actually need to do it playing matches when you're younger yes. too, uh, especially, you know, 14, 15, 16, because, you know, playing from the back of the court until you're 19, 20, and then decide you're going to be a good uh, volley or serve and volley player, that is far more difficult. So it needs to sort of be done at younger age. Uh, where you sort of get it into your backbone. And maybe one more thing to add here, which came to my mind, uh, like you said, I think, I mean, who cares about the results when you're 14, 16 or 18, almost, you know, to some extent. I know that it's important to fuel your uh, energy and your motivation for practice because losing just is not a great feeling. So, of course, you're going to, at the end, in matches, play to win. I understand that. But if you can add some serve ball, if you can add some hit and volley, chip and charge and all that stuff, you know, of a return as well, I mean, all that stuff is, is going to benefit you later. Now, one more important angle is, and this is where maybe Stefan can also add something, back in his day, and he was number one in doubles too, serve volley in doubles was a must. If you stayed back, I don't think probably Stefan stayed back once in doubles when he played on the floor. <laughs> and uh, I, I only did it to see how it feels because other guys did it so effectively and so, so well that I do believe, even though that nowadays the doubles in the juniors or at the pro level are played a lot from the baseline, if you're a junior, I think use the doubles to serve and volley. Because if you're not going to serve and volley even in the doubles, I mean, sure, you're going to learn some things from doubles, but you will not never benefit as much as like I did when I played serve and volley from, I don't know, 16 years old all the way till 
25 when I played only serve and volley on, you know, first and second serve in, in doubles. Later on, I tried the other way as well, just to, to see how it feels. And I was never 100% comfortable, but I think that's also one thing I find quite important. We well, agree on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> but for us, it's logical. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, see. let's see if you guys agree on this. How much time in practice should be spent on the Sabre? That's the question. <laughs> I, can, I can go first. I can go first. So the Sabre, the Sabre, the problem is like it's hard. It's impossible to practice with other players uh, because it's so like it just doesn't feel right to do it in practice and break down uh, points that way even though it, it's a completely a legitimate tactic you know to be honest uh like certain volleys or standing way back in the court who thought that that was normal you know like in stefan's day that the guy would be returning in the back fence you know so the saber is the other version this is super extreme but i think the saber to practice that one you need somebody to serve it to you and you keep on practicing it that way one after another because i don't think you, it's very hard to play points and that's why it's been hard for me to to keep the saber up to be honest in matches but i'm already thinking how can i bring it back next year so that's definitely in the, in the makings <laughs> and in the plan <laughs> yeah i was curious if that uh, if that if you came up with that or if if that was uh <laughs> well, i think i had nothing to do with i watched it when Roddy did first time in cincinnati and i think i was uh, sort of uh, semi-shocked <laughs> but uh, on the other hand it was something that was really exciting something that was new and sometimes you need to bring new things into the game. So at the time, it was it was fabulous. I've never done anything like that. Uh, maybe do put a half saber when I attacked the net on the second serve, but nothing close. For sure, did. And and I, I think practicing on the saber, you know, it's it's so difficult. Not many people are going to be able to do it. Not even if you practice your whole life, because it's all about timing and being strong enough. And uh, yeah, it's 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 quite a shock. Yeah, and you have to accept looking ridiculous, you know, if you miss it, because it looks like why you just throw away that point, you know. But if yeah. you make it, it, it leaves an impact on, well, he could be doing the next time or during an important point or he has got something up his sleeve maybe now, you know. Uh, for me, uh, when I tried it, you know, uh, I remember Severin telling me in Cincinnati, why didn't you take the return earlier? I think it was with Benoit Pair, actually, if I remember correctly. In Cincinnati. <laughs> I, ju I just arrived and it was a super loose practice. And uh, I was tired. I just arrived from Switzerland. And, um, and I did it. I remember. And I, I took the ball early. He goes, no, no, but I'm saying earlier. You know, you got to step in the corner. I was like, oh, how early do you want me to take the ball? I cannot take it earlier than I'm already taking, I thought. But Seven really wanted me to take it much earlier. So I said, what, like this? And I did the saber, you know? And he's like, yeah. well, not like that. But I think I wonder <laughs> if the first or second one, like, literally worked to perfection, you know? And then we played... Um, uh, I think some games is been run. It was like super relaxed and mellow practice. And I did a few of the saves. I literally hit them for a winner and I could not believe <laughs> that I was able to do it. Stefan, uh, sorry, uh, Severin was laughing and Bernard Perry was like, are you, are you kidding me right now? What is going on? <laughs> it, was so, it was hilarious. And I think this is then how sort of the, the saber came alive. And then I also started using, I think that week then in the, in the matches too. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I remember I was actually uh, I was in the stands watching your match against oh, really? against Anderson, and you okay, hit yeah, you hit you hit the saber, you come into the net, and you finish the point. I think you had to hit two overheads. Two overheads, yeah, yes. Yeah, and the ball goes in the stands, and I actually got that ball. So no chance. A few oh, people, wow. few people, you know, fumbled with it. They kind of choked, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I ended up I ended up getting it. So that was that was kind of funny. Yeah, that's that was, good. That's good. That was funny. 
But uh, yeah, it's kind of like the underhand serve. If it works, it's great. Yeah, but, uh... there you go. It's allowed. It's, as yeah. long as you're allowed to do it, it's okay. Just don't be scared of looking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So just a couple more questions about rackets before we, we wrap this up for you guys. Uh, one of the questions we were, we were interested in, do you guys hang on to any of your rackets, like any of your rackets that you, know, you won a Grand Slam with or something that's got like a special memory? You guys have like a room in your house where you get a bunch of rackets hanging on the wall, or? <laughs> well, if if I can start, uh, you know, I I packed all my prizes and um, and all my trophies when I moved from London in uh, was it twenty hundred back to Sweden. They're still pretty much unpacked, so I don't have any trophies or anything, or even not rackets. But I do keep them at home, uh, so I have um, a lot of the rackets that actually finished a match point win uh, when I won my first Wimbledon for instance mm-hmm. um, I keep that at home and I haven't played a shot with it since so it's, uh, <laughs> it's the same condition but the only thing that's changed is some of the st- uh, strings are broken now yes. I haven't played it just gets too old uh, mm-hmm. yeah so I, I keep keep some trophies and you know the records that I hit the match points with those are my trophies yeah yeah no same for me I mean I've kept the a lot of the rackets, I mean, I never thought I was going to have the career that I was going to have. So I didn't keep that much in the early days, you know, because I was just like, well, uh, it's, uh, there's hopefully many much more to play for. We'll see what happens, you know. But then if you look back, the oldest stuff is always in a way the best stuff, you know, or from the most important moments, like Stefan said, like a, a Wimbledon win or, a, you know, for the French Open win or whatever it may have been. Uh, but I definitely start keeping stuff, you know, ever since I started winning Grand Slams, you know, and uh, I... Kept a lot of rackets. My wife's a little bit, why so many? I mean, it's okay to keep some, but why so many? It's like, well, you know, there's going to be charities in the future and I can <laughs> hang on to my stuff. And I, it's not like I'm hoarding it all, but I know that maybe down the road it could be a great gift or uh, maybe it really means something or I can pass it down to my children. Probably they'll, they'll, they'll put it, chuck it to the side and put it in their cellar and it's going to go down generation. Who knows Who knows what? But yeah. uh, I do have a lot of rackets, you know, so... Uh, same for outfits as well and shoes and all that stuff. I, I try to keep as much as possible, but also very much so for charity because I know it's a, it always raises a lot of money for a good cause as well. Good. Now you must have a, quite a big collection by now. You've played for ages. <laughs> how, how many, yeah, that's true also. How many rackets did you ha- use per year, Stefan? Because uh, I use around you know, 50 a year or so, mm-hmm. 60 maybe. Yeah, I probably use maybe half of that, around maybe okay. 25 rackets a year. And you would travel with how many? Uh, usually 12. Okay, also batches of 12. Around, yeah, around for me. 12. Okay. And that's what I would do. And, uh, yeah, you would all, always have maybe five, six rackets that you sort of restring before the matches. You had some old rackets okay. as well, so you had exactly. different. So, yeah, you've got to keep a lot of rackets on court in case. Yeah, absolutely. You know, weather changes or the tension doesn't feel right. So it's it's quite important, at least for professional players, to have a lot of rackets on court. If you're an amateur, you maybe need one or two rackets. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for most players, you know, it's really exciting to, to get a new racket or, you know, get a new couple of rackets or something like that. You know, I still remember opening, like, rackets on Christmas, and I get, like, three new ones, and I'm like, ah, this is awesome. Uh, how do how do you guys feel when you get new rackets? Is it does it still feel like that, or is it kind of you know with sixty rackets a year, it's a uh, it's a lot of rackets? So. <laughs> no, but it feels special for me. I mean, I remember. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I get them usually in a box, 
and they're all like got the bubble wrap around them and I pull them out and you know they're all freshly strung new frame new grip the whole thing yes I mean it is a beautiful moment always you know uh it's unfortunately not wrapped you know with the little bow on top you know but uh, <laughs> it's uh it, it's definitely cool now are we talking about the new racket one during the year or are we talking about something like the RF97 autograph the new one coming out now so I mean that's then very special that's more much more special of course when you have played with a certain um cosmetic or design for a certain amount of time and then you change uh that to me is always very exciting nerve-wracking at the same time and there you cannot just wait instead of just holding it you want to go out and hit balls with it you know because you were obviously doing you went through the testing and then now you want to see how it feels again when it's real and here is your batch of 12 rackets all freshly strong and ready to go yeah well uh, well it's it's uh, it's always exciting with a new racket and um, i actually received a new pro stuff three weeks ago here hey! there it is there it is pretty exciting. I can see you still got the little stripes here, red and yellow. Yeah. It's a good technical yeah. detail. So I'm looking forward to make the first hit for these rackets pretty soon. Okay. So it is, it right. is exciting when you get a new racket, new sort of new pro stuff. They don't come along that often. So That's it is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this one this one got me back. I switched to the Clash for a couple of years there, but I'm I'm back. Yeah. Are you? Nice. <laughs> so, for sure. Well, then after this phone call, you got to be back on the pro staff. Oh, yeah, sure. I think. And I, I mean, I'm so I'm drinking the Kool-Aid oh, over oh, here for oh, sure. Look at that t-shirt. I got that shirt too, actually. I bought yeah. it. I got it in a store. I saw it. I was <laughs> like, oh my God, I need that shirt. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so like, you know, we're all so excited about it because you know, honestly, the, the racket's great, but the history is so cool around pro staff. You know, no other racket franchise has this. Uh, if you just think of all the people that have played with pro staff, I mean, it has to be by far the most like grand slams one with any specific racket, right? Obviously you guys have written a lot of this history yourselves. Uh, do you guys have a favorite memory with, with pro staff or just, you know, within your career? Mm. It's a lot of good ones. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Somehow I got to almost go back to the 85 and I beat uh, Pete at Wimbledon. I know I always refer back to that match, but it was my first time on center court at Wimbledon. It's the only time I ever played against Pete. And we played with the same racket, essentially. Okay, he had like a much heavier version of it because he put <laughs> all the lead tape on it and he had the super tight stringing job, you know, with the very thin all-gut string. I played once with his racket. Uh, um, once uh, his former stringer brought it to Davis Cup to, for me to hit with it, that was just something else, you know. But so for me to have that clash of the pro staffs, you know, the two of us playing against one another. I think if I look as in a pro staff uh, world, uh, that will be it. If I would have played Stefan, that would have been another one, but unfortunately that match <laughs> never happened. <laughs> yeah, and um, well, I probably would say, you know, um, back in 1984, I just picked up the Wii, the record three weeks uh, beforehand, winning my first ATP title uh, back in Milan. Um, I think that would be the moment, I think, because it was a new racket. Uh, it felt great. Won my first ATP tournament. Um, just a great feeling. Um, and at the time, I played with a prototype. It was all black. There was no design on it or anything. So um, just had three rackets uh, during that tournament in Milan. So whenever I broke the racket, I had to go out to the stringer immediately. <laughs> Uh, so it was almost a panic sometimes if you break two strings, you know, you only have one racket to go. 
so, so there's a good memory from 1984. And I believe maybe you won your first ATP tournament in Milan as well, Roger, is it? Yes, absolutely. No, no, yes. no, you're right. 2001, also a big deal for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and funny enough, uh, the, talking about prototype and then being all black, that, that's what was the case for me in 13. And as we were then looking at for the evolution of the RF97 autograph, you know, um, the one that came out in 14, which was like black and red and with a little bit of yellow. Um, we then, I had in my mind, uh, how about if we made an all black racket, like one of those prototype rackets? Because sure. I think uh, nowadays so many rackets have so many colors on them. So I said, how about if we reduce it to a very classic, crisp, stylish looking racket, you know, with details, but you have to look up close to it. Uh, and yeah. this is how I actually ended up with the very black, you know, pro staff today. It's actually also through a prototype. You know, it's funny you say that. Yeah, that's a good, because that's a really cool racket. I remember, remember when you showed it to me and I said, wow, this is a great racket, great looking because it's, yeah. it's so and it's just black with a few details. So uh, yeah. Also, the, I think a very special, I mean, I don't know if everybody has already touched it, you know, but a feel obviously is very important for a player or you always hold the handle, but the elastic paint, you know, I think is very, very special and very different to any other racket out there on the market. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing cleaner than all black. That's for sure. It looks looks pretty sweet. That's for sure. Um, well, cool guys. Hey, this is this has been really fun. Really awesome talking with uh, with both of you about pro staff. I appreciate you both taking the time during all this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Fun. Absolutely. Thank you, Stefan. That was good fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Roger. Did well. <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank you. The master yeah. approves. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. How are you doing? Okay, I'm doing very well. Um, it's been a, an interesting year to say the least, but uh, no, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm healthy. Same with my family, my wife, everybody's good. So, you know, thank you for asking. So a lot of people probably want to know about your knee recovery. How is that coming along? It's been a long process uh, and thank you for asking again. Um, but uh, I must say I'm in really good spirits. Um, I feel improvement, maybe not day by day, but week by week. Uh, if I look back, I feel like there's good improvements. Uh, I was on the tennis court uh, last week, uh, five days out of six days, which was uh, oh, uh, a lot of fun again. I hadn't done that since uh, February. So that's really good news and it's encouraging. And of course, I'm, I'm working as hard as I can or as much as the knee is allowing me to. But uh, I'm in really good spirits, which is important. Entrepreneur, yeah. A lot of people probably just asking and saying that after becoming an entrepreneur, does that mean that you are backing down from the tennis court? But you, your answer was no before, right? Is that still the case? Yeah, I, I understand why he didn't. He did, uh, yeah. Why um, uh, Amal didn't want to ask me that question, you know? Because uh, you don't want to ask that question, you know? Because it's uh, you know I get very mad, very upset, very angry. No, I'm, I'm joking. Like nothing has changed. I'm still fighting for my comeback. I want to be back on the tennis court. I would love to play against uh, all the the legends of the game and the best players. And uh, I feel like maybe there's a little bit more left in me. Um, and if not, that's it too. But like, I'm not, I'm definitely not uh, stepping away of the game right now. But it's fun to be entrepreneurial, philanthropist, uh, tennis player, dad, all this stuff at the same time. It's a, it's an exper an experience in itself. But uh, no, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not uh, retiring anytime soon. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> we are looking forward to your comeback. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Me too. Thank you, Amal. 
Take care. I know. I felt like I was there. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. Big hug. Thank you. Big hug. Absolutely. Big hug. Bye. All right. Good night. Bye. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.